Turn with me today to Mark's Gospel. We're going to read in chapter 9. I'm going to read from verse 14 right through to verse 29. This portion of the Scripture corresponds to last week's portion of Scripture from Matthew chapter 17. Mark chapter 9, read from verse 14. Let's hear the word of God, reading, of course, from the authorized version. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I've brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him. And he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out. And they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him. And he fell in the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and come out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now my text this morning is found again in Matthew chapter 17, verse 21. And it reads as follows, How be it this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and and fasting. And I've entitled today's subject deliberately, The Missing Practice of the Professing Church. Now you have a right to ask, what has the Church of Jesus Christ forgotten to do in the 21st century? What is missing from its life and witness in this day and generation? Now look at the text, Matthew 17, verse 21, for here's the answer. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, 
but by prayer and fasting. These words are mentioned in Mark chapter 9, verse 29, that I've read in your hearing. Here's the answer. Think of these words. This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. And I suggest to you this morning that what is missing from the New Testament church, we discover the answer here. You're familiar with the subject of prayer. You've heard many sermons on it. But the question is not, where is the prayer meeting? The question is this, where is the specific, special seasons of prayer linked with fasting? Now, last week I preached on the Lord's cure for a parlous church. On that occasion, we saw a poor frustrated man, a father bringing his only boy, a lunatic son to the Lord's disciples, nine of them at least at the foot of the Mount Hermon or Tamor, and he asked them to cure the boy, to, to cast out the devil. The devil had rendered him dumb and deaf and destitute. The nine of them tried, but they failed. And then the Lord Jesus, remember, came in the scene. The boy's father cried out to the Lord, Lord of mercy in my son. And we're given a few more details in Mark chapter 9, which you can meditate on and think about what was said between the father and the son. He told the Lord Jesus about this dumb, deaf, defiling, evil spirit. And then the Lord Jesus healed him. Later, the disciples came and asked Christ, why could not we cast him out? And here's the answer that the Lord gave. How be it, this king goeth forth, or goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. It's interesting this morning that Mark chapter 17 and verse 21, and uh, uh, sorry, Matthew 17 verse 21 and Mark 9, 29, are not found in the modern versions of the Bible. It's absent. If you have a modern version of the Bible, you can look it up and you will discover that uh, this text is missing. They say it's a disputed text. The exact words are not found. They say in Luke chapter 9, where the story is also mentioned. So they've concluded, well, this verse shouldn't be in the Bible. And I want to tell you, it's a lie of the devil. Ask yourself, who would want to keep you in the dark about the Lord's cure for a parlous church? And the answer, of course, is the devil himself. I've asked myself this week, how many sermons have I heard in prayer? I've heard many. I've preached on the subject of prayer on many occasions. How many sermons have I heard in prayer and fasting? How many on the subject of fasting itself? Now, I have to confess that during the 21, 22 years I've been here, I've only ever dealt with the subject of fasting when I did a short series or a series on the Sermon on the Mount, at Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 and 18. I also preached in Mark 9, verses 14 to 29 many, many years ago, but only touched on fasting at the end, like we did last week. So today... I want to try and redress the matter. And I'm going to try and deal with the subject of fasting. We want to discover, is it an actual biblical recommendation for the believer? And is it something we should be voluntarily doing before the Lord today? Let's think of four things. Think of the essence of fasting. Notice the words here. 
and fasting. We've got a right to ask, well, what is fasting? And before I do that, let's think of what it's not. So we're going to look at the subject negatively. It's not a means to lose weight. There was a discussion panel one time of one of our ministers was asked by a young girl that how much weight would she lose if she attempted to fast and how many times she would need to fast during the week. But that's not the true intent and purpose of fasting. It's not a means to lose weight. It's certainly not a ploy to go on hunger strike for some cause to get your way, either politically or any other way. It's not a means of striking a bargain with God. Lord, I'll do this if you will do something for me. It's also not to live a self-righteous kind of life. That's what the scribes and Pharisees were guilty of. That's what the Lord Jesus was dealing with in Matthew chapter 6 and verses 16 to 18 in the Sermon on the Mount. For he said, moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their face, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have the reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not to fast, not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. You see, even to this day, there's some use fasting as a guise, as a means to get close to the Lord as possible, and believe that they can earn his merit and earn his favor. But fasting in and of itself doesn't save you. It doesn't deliver you from the guilt and power of sin. There's no saving merit in fasting. The true Christian's merit is found alone in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So it's not in order to live a self-righteous kind of life. It's not even meant to be part of a religious ritual. It's certainly not like the practice of certain Muslims in the religion of Islam. Remember, they're required by their religious order to fast in the month of Ramadan. It's not like Lent, where certain individuals fast for 40 days before Easter and abstain from something you like, say chocolate or ice cream or, or sweets. And you think of those that climb Crook Patrick every year barefooted. They flog themselves. They're bleeding. They're, they're saying, really, uh, we're performing this ritual, this religious rite, Lord. We're fasting uh, as well so that you can look upon us and you can have mercy upon us and you can deal with us. You're not fasting for a legalistic purpose either. It's not connected to asceticism. Did you know that years ago there was individuals and they were called the pillar people? You've heard of the peace people, but this is the pillar people. And they used to climb tall pillars, maybe a tree or a stone pillar, and used to sit on the top of it. And they sat there for hours, sat for days. And they, they abstain from food and from, from uh, meat and from drink. And, and they were appearing to be spiritual. But it was all legalistic. It was all trying to live a self-righteous kind of life. It was all to do with religious ritual. 
So what I'm saying to you, fasting is, in its essence, is none of these things. So if it's none of these things, well, then what is it? Let me answer positively now. Here's what fasting is. Fasting is the absence of food and drink for a period of time for a spiritual reason before the Lord. Let me repeat that. Fasting is the absence of food and drink for a period of time for a spiritual reason before the Lord. In other words, fasting is connected with true spirituality. It's connected with having a more deeper, intimate relationship with the Lord as you wait upon him in an attitude of prayer, as you wait before his face for his power and blessing and help. You see, many question today if true believers are required to fast. Is there a divine precept, a divine command that we're to afflict our souls and, and abstain from food? Now, all I can do is point you this morning to the scriptures of truth. The biblical use of the word fast and fasting is fascinating. 46 times in the Old Testament, the word fast and fasting is mentioned. The Hebrew word does mean to cease from food by covering the mouth. And if your mouth is covered, then you're not going to be able to eat. In the New Testament, it's used 31 times. And in the Greek, it means to abstain from food for a period. You, you turn there this morning, if you haven't already, to Matthew chapter 6. And I've already read... Verses 16 to 18 to you. But look at the words. The Lord Jesus is dealing here in these first 18 verses with three religious duties. Almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. And by the way, they're all connected. Notice the words, verse 16, moreover, when you fast. Verse 17 but thou when thou fastest. Now I want you to see that. The Lord Jesus assumed that his disciples, his true followers, will fast. Does the Lord Jesus expect his followers and disciples to fast? I believe he does if we're to take scripture seriously. If he expects us to give alms, as it's in the same context, and expects us to pray, in the same context, when thou pressed, then he also expects us to fast. And we need to consider seriously what the Lord Jesus wants us to do. And if you turn over there to Matthew chapter 9, and look with me at verse 14 and 15, we read, Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft, but thy disciples fast not? And then look at verse 15. And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn, as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them. Notice these words. And then shall they fast. In other words, he assumes that his followers will fast. Fasting, I believe, is part and parcel of the whole of the Christian life. It's connected to almsgiving, and it's connected to prayer. Let me explain that. 18th century, let me take you to Oxford University. 
We wish it was back then as it is today. Think of a group of Christians. And they want to get together. And they have this goal, this mindset that they want to pursue and live a holy life before the Lord. They're young men. They form part of what is called the Oxford Club or the Holy Club. And they met for regular prayer. That's a good thing, isn't it? They met for Bible study. But they also met for fasting. They not only had regular prayer meetings and Bible study, but they fasted. They abstained from food in order so they could pray and meet with the Lord. And on top of that, they did charitable good works. One of those young men was John Wesley. He led the group. And what does the church of Jesus Christ need today? It needs young men with the same mindset to do the same thing. Young men who will pledge their time, discipline their spirit, have the drive and determination by God's grace that they're going to give themselves to regular prayer, Bible study, and almsgiving and fasting before the Lord for a spiritual purpose. It was Andrew Bonner that said, one of the great Scottish Presbyterian ministers, in fact, I believe, one of the greatest that Scotland has ever produced, along with Horatius Bonner, his brother, Robert Murray McShee, and John Knox, Patrick Hamilton. And he asked, what is fasting? And this is his answer. Abstaining from all that stands in the way of prayer. You see, fasting helps us to pray. Helps us to focus on the Lord. It aids our mindset of our need of him. It aids our dependence on him. Fasting helps us to grow in grace and the knowledge of Christ. Because we're gripped with a strong, passionate, dedicated mindset before the Lord. And it's not only abstaining from food, although that's part and parcel of it, but we could also abstain from other legitimate things. We could deny ourselves even legitimate things as a way of meeting with the Lord and allowing him to meet with us. So there's the essence of fasting, what it's not and what it is. I want you to think, secondly, of the examples of fasting in the Bible. You see this mindset of Abstaining from food is revealed to us in the Old and New Testament in all kinds of situations and scenarios by a number of different people. And we can think about the way that these people fasted. There was a normal fast. That is, they they fasted from a lunch or fasted from a dinner for a time. Um, we, we, We could call that really the the partial fast. Uh, And then there was the the full absolute fast. They they abstain from food and drink for a very prolonged period of time. Now, you think of not only the ways, the the normal, the partial, the absolute fast, but, but think of when. And I want you to follow with me in these scriptures. Turn over there to Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 29. Leviticus 16 and 29. Let's just read these scriptures together. Leviticus 16 and 29. Let's hear the word of God. And this shall be a statute forever unto you, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, ye shall afflict your souls, 
and do no work at all, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger that sojourneth among you. And on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you, that ye may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls by a statute forever. Now that has to do with the Day of Atonement. And that happens to this day in the land of Israel when the whole land comes to a standstill and the religious people among the Jewish people are encouraged to afflict their souls and to abstain from food. And it was for a 24-hour period. And of course it ties into the ceremonial civil law of Israel. I want you to think of the story of Esther. For we read there in Esther chapter 4 and verse 16 that they fasted for three days and three nights. The entire Jewish nation and his people was at stake. They were going to be murdered at the hands of Haman and Esther called for not only prayer but fasting before she went into the king. And the Bible tells us there in Esther 4 and 16 that they fasted for three days and three nights. Here's another period. And of course, the same thing happened in the book of Nehemiah. If you turn to Nehemiah, uh, in Nehemiah chapter 1, and you'll read there in verses uh, 3 and 4, um, Nehemiah chapter 1, what happened there? And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burnt with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down. There's the first thing he did. He was just overwhelmed. And wept, and mourned certain days, and fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven. The same thing happened in the book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 8. We read in verse 21, these words, Then I proclaimed the fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek of him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. Daniel 10, verses 2 and 3, he had a 21-day fast. Moses fasted for 40 days. Deuteronomy 9 and 9. He refused to eat bread and refused to drink water. The Lord Jesus Christ fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4 verse 2. The apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 6 and 5 talked about being in fastings often. He said the same thing in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 27. In fastings often. Now if you think this morning... Of the law of first mention, 46 references to fast and fasting in the Old Testament. And the first mention is Judges chapter 20, verse 26. And this was a dark period in the history of the children of Israel. There was a war between the tribes. A civil war broke out. 40,000 soldiers died in that civil war. And what did the leaders of the tribes do against the tribe of Benjamin? Judges 20, 26, they call for a one-day fast. The Bible tells us they came to the tabernacle. They came to get before the Lord. They came to pray. They came to confess their sin. They came to weep and mourn. Isn't it interesting? 
that in the law of first mention, which is an important law in biblical hermeneutics, here we have an example of fasting, and it's connected to a time of great mourning, a time of great calamity, a time of death in the land, and they're coming to the tabernacle, admitting that they need the Lord, that they must get before him. Why? Why? Because they realized that fasting is connected with prayer. Prayer is connected with fasting. They go together, especially in time of great calamity and great need and great crisis. And that is the examples of prayer and fasting in the Bible. Now, I've only scratched the surface, but I've given you the references and you can look them up for yourselves. I want you to think, thirdly, the encouragement to fasting. Look again at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 16. Think of these words. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites. You see, there's a right way to fast, but there's also a wrong way to fast. And the wrong way to fast is to do it for a selfish reason. In other words, your heart's not right. Your heart is not in it. It's not right before the Lord, and your motive is wrong. Your motive is not to the glory of God. Your motive is for a selfish reason. And if you turn over there to uh, Isaiah, and look with me at Isaiah chapter 58, and we'll read together there the verses 4 through to 6. Let's hear the word of God. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate. Here's the reasons for fasting. And to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. Verse 5. Is it such a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his souls? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bringest the poor that are cast out to thy house, when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? You see, here's a, a wrong motivation for fasting. They did it for strife. They did it for debate. They did it to strike with the fist of wickedness. And the Lord asked them, is this the fast that I've chosen? No, this is not the day for a man to afflict his soul so that he'll be heard by me in heaven. This is not going to cut ice with me. Here's the real aspect about fast. Your fast is hypocritical. It's not acceptable to me. I not recognize it. I not hear you when you pray because your heart is not right in the sight of God. You see, if your heart is redeemed by the precious blood of Christ and you're born of the Spirit and your life and motto is holiness unto the Lord and you hate sin and love wickedness, then you'll mourn your personal sin. You'll mourn the sins in the church. You'll mourn the national sin. And you'll want to undo that heavy burden in the land. And you'll want and yearn for the oppressed to go free. And you'll break the yoke of wicked men. You, you will give bread to the hungry. You'll help the poor. You'll clothe and feed them. 
See, I believe the Lord commands fasting to us. I believe he also condemns the abuse of it in the Bible. And therefore, I believe this morning there is a proper use for fasting. And it's encouraged by the Lord Jesus. It's not a legal requirement in that sense where there's a precept laid down to say you must do it when and here's the way. But I believe it's encouraged by Christ when ye fast. And we can't abstain from food and other legitimate things. We can do it partially. We could skip the lunch or the dinner someday. We could have a full fast for a 24-hour period. We could have a two- or three-day fast. But, of course, we need to be care. And we need to exercise caution because there are some people who medically can't fast. And we understand that. And, of course, we don't want to have a burden and see a guilt trip on any of God's people. And, therefore, I believe that while it's encouraged... It is not regulated in the sense that there's a a chapter and verse, a divine precept, where it says it must be done. Because while I want you to see this as a scriptural practice and see it as a means to inflict your soul, remember the law first mentioned, Leviticus 16 and 29, and see it as something associated with prayer, this is a voluntary thing. This is something that you choose to do before the Lord. And your heart is in it. And you're doing it not because you've been forced to do it. Not because you're required to do it by the church. But you're doing it because you want to do it before the Lord. You see it as a a good practice. And especially in a time of spiritual calamity. Especially in a time when you may need guidance. In a day of great grief when you're overwhelmed by something. In a day whenever the devil is busy and at work in the life of the church or in your life as a Christian or in the life of a Christian family. Then we need to get before the Lord. And if we're serious, we will pray. And if we're serious, we'll have a time of fasting. Whether it's a partial fast, a full day fast, or whether it's it's a longer fast. That is our choice. Joel 2 and 15 tells us, sanctify a fast. The locusts had devoured the land of Israel, the nation to the brink of ruin and starvation. So he brings the babies and he brings the bride and the bridegroom all together. And they all come there before the Lord. And they set themselves apart. And they abstain from food so that the Lord can come and work amongst them. And I believe that's a timeless principle. You see, the Bible teaches us this. In Isaiah 66 and verse 2. To this man will I look. To him that is poor. And of a broken spirit. And who's contrite in heart. And you see, if we're honest. And we humble ourselves before the Lord. We're really saying to the Lord, Lord, we need you. We can't be without you. We want you to come. We need thy help. We need thy blessing. So there's the encouragement to fast. Let me give you one other thing. I want you to think of the effects of fasting. Can we not apply this text, how be it this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting, to the life of our country at this time? 
Is we Northern Ireland not in the grip of wickedness when we see all that's happening around us? And we see the footprints and the handiwork of the evil one as if he put a spell on many people in relation to the Lord and his day and, and, and in relation to the Lord's Christ. Can we not apply this not only in the life of the country but in the life of the church? Does the church of Jesus Christ in its powerlessness not need to turn to the Lord and confess, Lord, we're powerless? How be it, Lord, help us. Grant us your blessing. What do we need in Carry Duff as I finish this morning? Well, we need souls to be saved. Well, who's going to do the saving? It's not the church that saves, it's Christ. Well, we need a number of new families added, and, and I've already burdened for that, and, I, and I'm praying to that end. And who's going to add those families? Well, it's the Lord that gives the increase. Not be by my means or my hand or, or yours. It'll be the Lord's doing in, in grace and in mercy. Because every family is a gift. Every individual is a gift to the work of God. How are those who are broken and are hurting and are traumatized and troubled going to be helped by the grace and power of God? Here's the answer. At least part of the answer. This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. And I believe in our day that the leadership of our church need to call for times of prayer and times of fasting. Is there a place for it? The answer is yes. But you voluntarily have to decide that you want to do it. And you voluntarily give yourself to it. And whether that's going to skip a meal, lunch or dinner, so that you can give yourself to prayer. Now, I just don't want you to think, if Mr. McLaughlin says, I've got to skip lunch and sit at home and watch the television or listen to the news. No, that's not the point. The point is this. If you're going to give up lunch, then you give that time that you'd be eating lunch to get before the Lord with your Bible and pray and cry to the Lord for some of these things that I've mentioned or something that's peculiar to your particular family. You see, there is a private fast. And that's what the Lord Jesus was dealing with in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 to 18. But there's a public fast, and that's what Joel was dealing with, Joel 2 and 15. And I've been challenged this week because someone asked me this question. Are you willing to trade, trade the bowl for a blessing? Are you willing to trade the physical for the spiritual? Are you willing to trade the material so you can meet with the Lord? See, let me just finish this morning. If we give ourselves to this concept of biblical fasting, it does this. It heightens and increases our awareness of how much we need the Lord. You see those hunger pangs in our belly that grip us? And I have to tell you, I know what that's like because I get hungry often. And it's not a nice feeling. But that hunger pang is to increase our hunger for the Lord, to thirst after him to, to pant after him and, and this decision to voluntarily abstain from food is my personal response in love to him it, it's it's like in grace empowering me to offer my body to him as a living sacrifice aren't we commanded to present your bodies a living sacrifice unto the lord Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. 
What's the difference between a sacrifice and an offering? Think of the chicken and think of the pig. And they're having a discussion about getting breakfast for the farmer. And the pig asks the chicken, well, what can you give? The chicken says, well, I could lay an egg. I could even lay two eggs. That would be an offering. So the chicken says to the pig, well, what could you give? And the pig says, well, I could give some bacon. But there's a problem. For me to give bacon brings about my death. And that's a sacrifice. And we're asked to present our bodies an offering to the Lord. We're asked to present our bodies a living sacrifice. In other words, we're to die to self. We're to say, my body's his body. He redeemed it. It's owned by him. It's indwelt by the Spirit. And in that way, as we fast, presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, we discover how detached we are from the world and its affairs. We discover that these things that we focus on are not as important as we think it is. So their fasting helps us not only in an awareness of how much we need the Lord and our response of love to him as we present our bodies, but but it helps us a life of self-denial. It deals with our pride. It it helps us to humble ourselves. It, It helps us to have power to overcome, to renew the mind. It has physical benefits, but more than that, it has spiritual benefits because we're brought nearer and closer to the Lord. We discover what true worship is. As we wait upon him for his help and his blessing. They've only scratched the surface. This, you could probably write a whole book on this subject. But here's four things I want you to remember this morning. The essence of fasting, what it's not and what it is. The encouragement to fast is here in the Bible. As well as the examples. Here's the effect it can have. In my life, in your life, in the life and witness of the church. I close with this. A man one time wrote to William Booth. He was having problems in his Salvation Army recruit, wherever he was working. And General Booth wrote back to him a telegram because he wanted to quit. And he sent two words, try tears. And that's true. I'm going to suggest as a church, let's try prayer and fasting. And let's see the Lord work. And move amongst us. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to us. Thank you for listening.